Uh, welcome, Jane. Thank you for meeting with me today. It's uh, great to have you here on my podcast, Parenting Human Beings. I'm honored to be welcome to be on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. Dr. Jane Simonton, PhD, is the owner of Taking Flight International Corporation, Taking Flight Books, and the developer of both the Trauma Recovery Certification Program and the Grief Support Certification Program. As a therapist and professor, she combines her professional background in both nursing and psychology with her own experiences of grief, trauma, growth, and transformation, along with an extensive knowledge of energy transfer healing, dream interpretation, art, and guided imagery to help and heal people of both genders across the lifespan and across cultures. Dr. Symington is a frequent keynote and conference presenter, focusing on her research and clinical interests in change and transition, dying, grief and trauma, holistic health, personal empowerment, spiritual well-being, and team building with spirit. Jane is committed to giving powerful and impactful presentations that leave her audiences feeling inspired and with a solid takeaway message to put into immediate action. Jane's work is featured in her internationally sold books, Journey to the Sacred, Mending a Fractured Soul, and Through Soul's Eyes, Reinventing a Life of Joy and Promise, the booklet Responding Soul to Soul, the award-winning films Listening to Soul Pain and Healing Soul Pain, and the CDs Journey to Healing, Releasing Ties, Cloaked in Joy, Shielded with Light, Retrieving Lost Soul Parts, and Reintegrating Parts of the Self. Her books have been published in Spanish and also translated into German. Dr. Jane Symington is a recipient of Karna's Lifetime Achievement in Nursing, YWCA Woman of Distinction for Health and Medicine, Global Television's Woman of Vision, and profiled as the nurse to know in the Canadian Nurse Journal. That's quite the <laughs> amazing uh, career you've had. And so you started in nursing and became a therapist. And I know there's, you know, a reason for that. And you were anointed into the deeper waters through your own journey of grief, which I was hoping that you could share a little bit about to start and just kind of give us an overview of your story and what brought you into this, uh, the deeper side of trauma work, grief work, and healing, um, really bringing those the spiritual components into mainstream. Um. Certainly. The, um, the movement from nursing into psychology uh, happened actually uh, very shortly following the death of my son. I had been a nurse for a long time, um, actually had uh, studied grief because I uh, supervised a lot in emergency uh, and of course as you're aware uh, there were often tragic circumstances and then having to spend time with the bereaved uh, survivors and I also moved into working in long-term care uh, with older people and as you are aware there were always a lot of grief experiences so after my son was tragically killed, I was aware that I had a fair amount of knowledge of grief, but became quickly um, able to identify that the experience of grief is very different than the knowledge of grief. Yeah, the theory. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I had so many different uh, feelings uh, related to uh, such deep, deep pain, 
I attended every conference I could, I read every book I could get my hands on on grief. And while they provided more answers, I continued to have these deep soul nagging questions, which I now label as soul nagging. And it wasn't until I read Joan Boroshenko's book, Fire in the Soul, did I realize that this was actually soul issues that I was experiencing, which I now call soul pain. Mm -hmm. That took me back to university to obtain my master's, uh, my master's degree, because I needed to understand healing. I had a fair amount of knowledge, or so I thought, about health, but Mm -hmm. I really didn't understand healing. And at that time, uh, which was in the late 80s, the only research uh, related to healing was basically around the alternate methods, the complementary methods that were coming into our world, the Western world, uh, from the Eastern world. So Mm -hmm. basically, uh, acupuncture, reflexology, guided visualization, all of those kinds of energy kinds of modalities. I became immersed in them and actually my master's research looks at using therapeutic touch, uh, which is a type of energy healing, to uh, relieve the anxiety in older agitated people. So I became very involved in that and I also um, Really, the truth is, I was telling people I was doing this, exploring all of these other modalities and getting a master's degree to help others. But truly, I was desperately in need of healing, and I dabbled in so many modalities, uh, studied art as therapy, um, which I found very, very helpful. I really uh, became a clinical hypnotherapist to study the power of guided visualization and deep uh, trance work and um, uh, used a lot of energy work. I became a Reiki master teacher. Uh, But one of the biggest things that I discovered in doing my master's work is that we are one of the few cultures that don't begin our uh, healing work looking at what's going on at soul. And I knew that that was uh, where my pain, my deepest pain was. So I went to Hawaii and I actually did my doctorate in Hawaii, uh, looking at uh, the spiritual aspects of healing and how that impacts uh, people differently uh, around the world. So basically the effects of spirituality on their healing specific to their culture. So that actually took me to many parts of the world, and I've studied and worked in many parts of the world. So when I came back to Canada, I actually came, I was hired at the University of Alberta, uh, and I uh, worked there as a professor, uh, but still always knew that I was a community person. Hmm. And the women's federal prison was just opening up here in Edmonton, And I applied for the contract with Corrections Canada, and I received that contract and uh, did seven contracts, actually, with Corrections uh, Services of Canada uh, here and in a number of different provinces on a contract basis. And it was very affirming for me because the healing modalities that had worked for me, like the art, the imagery, the alternate methods, 
they were very interested in them. And really, the truth is, the moment I used the word soul and soul pain, I absolutely had the women's attention. Um, and that's when I developed my first video, Listening to Soul Pain. I was invited to speak at a conference in Vancouver about the work I was doing at the prison. And I was doing a lot of clay work with the women and they were, uh, their clay images were so painful to look at. Mm. Um, I could just uh, see the pain in them. And uh, I told them what I was going to do and how I was going to talk about the work we were doing. And I asked them what I should call my presentation and they said, soul pain. Mm. So the uh, presentation I did in Vancouver and then the subsequent video is actually listening to soul pain. And then it was the group of uh, counselors, uh, professional counselors from Grand Prairie, Alberta, who heard about my work and asked me if I would come up and teach them the uh, trauma strategies and grief strategies that I was using at the prison. I actually didn't know that I could teach that. <laughs> I'm um, quite psychic myself and I'm very intuitive and I've learned that the closer I work with somebody, especially at a soul level, I actually uh, pick up a lot intuitively from them. So I wasn't all that sure that I could teach that. Right. Um, but I did and they actually encouraged me then to develop uh, the trauma recovery certification built upon a spiritual framework and that has basically launched my career in doing what I do now offering the accredited programs in trauma recovery grief certification and the most recent one is the suicide intervention mm -hmm. And so that is a bit of a snapshot of what's taken me uh, from the beginning of grief to uh, I have now worked with probably more than 4,000 people, uh, always starting first at what's going on at the soul level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I just need to add to that uh, because many people are not aware of the differences between religion and spirituality. Right. The work that I do is not religious. I rarely ask people what religious background they have, but it's a spiritual framework. Uh, their connection to whatever is a greater uh, energy for them beyond themselves, what is their meaning in life, what is the purpose for their life. Uh, those are the spiritual foundations. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I can't remember, but how old was your son when he died? And it was a... It was my a car son, accident, right? My son was killed in a hunting accident. He was oh, 13 years of age. Hunting accident. He was mm -hmm. 13. Wow. And so having had all that experience with the theory of grief, had you any idea that it was as profound and painful as it was? No. Um, and as you're aware, there's a difference between what we call a developmental grief. So... Uh, uh, expecting that your parents are going to die is a developmental grief and you do mm -hmm. some anticipatory grieving yes. which helps people in their in their uh, when the impact actually happens but a death that's tragic and off time uh, is a very different experience and then um, I had a lot of guilt 
uh, and shame to deal with because as a nurse, I understood uh, my son was 13. And even though he loved to be uh, out hunting, and that had been his third experience, and had there been no tragedy, I would probably still think of that as a wonderful experience. I have some great pictures of how happy he was. Uh, but then after he was actually killed, uh, then, okay, what kind of mother allows a 13-year-old to be hunting? So that complicated my grief experience. Right. And so in answer to your question, there are so many factors. And now when I work with somebody who's grieving or teach the grief certification, we look at all of those factors that complicate the grief because every grief, as you know, is unique. Mm -hmm. But there are factors that make it more significantly painful than others. Absolutely. And so his age, the tragedy, my guilt, my shame, all of those things complicated it. Right, and I think any parent, it's natural for them as a parent who's meant to take care of their child, that they will naturally feel responsible because that's those are their instincts to take care of their child. They're responsible for them. So anything that happens to them is going to fall on their shoulders. Absolutely. Regardless of whether they had any control over it or not, I think it's just part, part and parcel with, with... Well, it's part of our uh, belief system, our reality. Uh, we trust the universal order. Mm. And the universal order is that children don't die before their parents. Right. And so when a child dies, there's a great sense of having lost some of your future, mm. your goals, your dreams, your aspirations. And so for uh, quite a few years, even though I felt I had done a significant amount of healing, there would be those trigger points mm -hmm. uh, taking me back to knowing, okay, uh, my son's best friend graduated from the 12th grade. Well, that wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. Then his other best friend was married and we attended the wedding. Well, right. that ripped us wide open again because that's never going to happen. Yes. We're never going to have children. We're never going to have anyone carry on my husband's name. And mm. so those are all little, little pains added to the big pain. Of course, yeah. In that sense, grief never ends, right? It's Well, I don't actually like to believe that anymore. Mm. Um, I fully believe, and this is a very spiritual purpose and it's about my meaning making mm. I fully believe that I shed my last tears when I wrote my first book mm. I really believe that I emptied it out mm. because I examined that I didn't leave a stone unturned mm. I examined everything uh, that had brought me to that point and I had to struggle with why? Why did this happen for me? And why, as you're aware, is an individual's meaning with the spiritual question? Yes. Why did God let this happen? How could this be? And I now fully believe, and this is very esoteric, and others mm. will maybe struggle with this, but this is my meaning. Right. Uh, I fully believe that my son and I contracted for mm. that. Uh, I needed to experience the pain mm. and I needed to experience the healing. 
I don't want to be in the pain anymore when I listen to somebody's grief, but I want to remember what was that like to be there uh, so that I can guide them through that process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when people say, uh, um, you will grieve for the rest of your life, no, I don't believe that. But I do believe you will remember Mm-hmm. But you want to remember without the emotional load. Right, right. Without the of, pain in the throat, in the heart, in the eyes, the tears. But you want to remember because if you're truly on purpose, your greatest pain should become your greatest gain. I, you know what? I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've heard it spoken in other ways, like your wounds become your source of power. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you, you know, believe that that was meant to happen or supposed to happen or you know that's an individual decision like Mm -hmm. you said that was your Mm -hmm. you know your story but if it did happen you know regardless of whether or not we agree that it should have or was contracted or what Mm -hmm. have you the fact that it did happen is this huge portal for transformation and it is the place where we can make the most meaning and put ourselves to um to use or to service as a result of having gone there because you Mm -hmm. can't really know or hold space for somebody. I don't know. I've met some really beautiful counselors who haven't been undergone profound grief experiences and whatnot. But I also believe that someone who gets anointed into that grief journey is, is changed forever changed. Well, you talked about the wounded healer. Mm Mm-hmm. And there is a difference. I don't ask that every uh, counselor goes through uh, what I've gone through. But when they come into any of my training, they have to experience. uh, They have to work with each other, as you know, uh, and experience uh, what it is they're going to do with a client. Because I'm well aware that you can only bring someone else along the soul journey as far as you yourself have come. Mm-hmm. You can't take somebody where you've never been. Mm-hmm. And so when people are in extreme grief and trauma and they're struggling with those soul questions, if you've never struggled with your own soul questions, and I uh, feel that many counselors are not that spiritually developed themselves Mm -hmm. so when people are struggling with esoteric questions uh, a counselor who hasn't explored those things in their own life has difficulty even hearing those kinds of deep uh, questions and maybe starts diagnosing them with a psychiatric disorder yes absolutely and do you find that academia doesn't really offer that as part of the training that's right it's more just mm-hmm. like the history and the techniques or mm-hmm. whatever else those programs offer but you should have to go through the inner work yourself in order to be able to offer that which well is- it is one of my struggles and actually in evaluating um my advanced education in both of my professions, uh, I remember um, uh, writing on the evaluation that our code of ethics said that we practice holistically. Never once did I hear any education, questions, teaching, exercises related to the spiritual quest. Hmm. And yet in my personal life and professional life, 
those are the deepest and the biggest questions. Yeah, and those are the most important things that make you the most well-equipped to actually do the work. And to practice holistically means addressing body, mind, emotion, and spirit. Mm -hmm. And if we say that, and yet we're not teaching it or testing for it, mm -hmm. we haven't really met our mandate. It becomes uh, a verbiage rather yeah. than action. Yeah. Well, it's almost up to the the person seeking help to discern who it is can, that can help them, who is going to be able to hold space at that deeper level, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, a good counselor will always uh, give permission. And many will do an initial interview with the client and say, this is what I do. Uh, how does that jive or match with your needs? And uh, a good counselor will always say, okay, well, maybe we're not the right fit. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, um, not do what I call punish somebody for not coming back mm -hmm. or needing a referral. Mm -hmm. We all have different gifts. Every counselor has different gifts, uh, different strengths. And um, some of us work better with individuals, some work better with groups, some work better with couples, and some just absolutely work better in the emotional or the spiritual realm yeah. and can't match or over override uh, the two. Yeah. Absolutely. There's so many different mm -hmm. styles and forms, and one is, you know, profoundly deep work on a soul level, and others could be more just, you know, problem solving or sorting out one story or that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you tend to gravitate towards attracting individuals who are looking for something deeper or who've kind of explored Absolutely. a bunch of areas and not... I've been in, I've been in the profession a long time now, and... Um, um, people tend to know what I do. Mm, right, and they've heard about you from that's somewhere. That's right, yeah. or they've read my books or listened mm -hmm. to one of my CDs. And so if they're wanting an appointment with me, they want uh, soul retrieval, or they want cutting cords, or they want the journey to the inner fire. They want to do the deeper work. They maybe have worked previously uh, with a counselor and they feel that they've done a lot of cognitive based therapy or mm. emotional based therapy but they know that there's still some unfinished depth and they're not mm. the person they want to be those are the kind of people that I attract and if I can't see them I send them to counselors who have taken my training and I know and value their work mm -hmm. yeah and now because I've taught this internationally I have some really good counselors in very many parts of the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I feel good about that because if people are needing soul healing, they need to find the right person mm -hmm. and with the right skills. Yeah, yeah. And often or historically, people would have to go to go outside of the mainstream system and... Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they don't have access through their mm -hmm. health insurance benefit plans. I mean, I I haven't seen a lot of what you do where, you know, there's really a merging of spirituality and the sort of mainstream mm -hmm. psychological offerings. Mm -hmm. That's right. right. And it's likely one of the uh, major reasons why um, I work a lot with uh, Indigenous people. And specifically with our First Nation Canadians, um, they're very comfortable, uh, more so than many Caucasians, mm. with the words healing, 
with the word spirituality. It's part of who they are as a people. Mm. Whereas uh, sometimes uh, Caucasians, especially if they are very academic, will really struggle with those words. We want to figure out the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, it's been kind of taken from us since about the 70s when we had to quantify everything, measure it, put it into research terms. Well, I've done uh, research related to spirituality. There are some good measures on spiritual well-being. They've been well-validated. They're reliable measures. But many people aren't even aware that those things exist because they quickly close the door Mm -hmm. the moment they hear those words. But having said that, I am also aware that we are on a spiritual shift Mm -hmm. There is a paradigm shift going on, and because I publish and I've uh, just done some major research related to uh, some of my work, and because I publish in that area, in the last three years there have been more than 800 articles written in professional journals asking therapists, counselors, professionals to become more aware of the spiritual concerns that people have when they go through a major crisis such as physical illness even, or being diagnosed with cancer, not only with, with a trauma or a grief experience, but a personal, a personal crisis as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how do you differentiate um, between trauma, uh, when do you use the word trauma, uh, versus just the you know, wounding that every person goes through? Well, basically, uh, the difference is um, grief is what we normally call developmental grief. Mm. So it happens as a process of being a human being. It happens as a process of getting old, dying. Mm. So we all know that uh, as women, we're probably going to outlive our male partner. So we're doing some anticipatory grieving. We probably all expect that our parents will die before we So that, even though when that happens to us, it feels like tragedy, Mm -hmm. that's not trauma. So trauma happens off time. Mm. So the death of a child is always considered traumatic. Mm. So there's been some violence. Uh, There has been like a murder, a suicide, uh, a car accident. So there's been some event that... Uh, we have never anticipated it's uh, we've not prepared for it so it results in not only the grief response but it results in what we call post-traumatic stress symptoms mm-hmm. and so grievers don't unless it's been a traumatic grief don't experience post-traumatic stress they experience grief mm-hmm. the denial the anger those kinds of uh, the bargaining all of the kubler rosses pieces they do experience to some extent and so everybody who's experienced trauma also experiences grief but they have more exaggerated symptoms like the the three major categories like that hypervigilance uh, they're always waiting for the next uh, shoe to drop. They're always easily startled, and that affects the entire physical body as well. And the second major symptom is what we call intrusions. So they're having flashbacks, they're having nightmares, uh, they're dissociating, um, those kinds of things. And then the third is constriction. The world becomes very small for somebody who's been traumatized. And part of that smallness is because they're so terrified to uh, even move beyond 
what you and I would consider very normal uh, because they're always triggered and then those triggers and so triggers can be a sight, a sound, a smell, a taste, a touch, a word and if that's serious enough for that person they can flash back and flashbacks actually are to relive the trauma and so they will relive it with the same amount of adrenaline that's been surging through their body they will see the same sights, smell the same smells, they will actually be there. And if that's severe enough, they can dissociate. Mm -hmm. And what dissociation means is the spirit actually leaves the body. Mm -hmm. And so they split with reality, they're not present, uh, and I uh, often say, breathe your spirit back, just stay with me, call yourself back. But people who dissociate, and we can dissociate right at the time of the trauma, can leave a part of themselves, which I call soul loss, and that's using very Jungian language. Mm -hmm. They can leave a part of themselves right after trauma, or if the trigger is severe enough and the flashback severe enough, they can actually leave a part of themselves again. And so um, that's why when we're doing trauma work, we want to be very sure that we are doing it safely. Uh, so that the person is not dissociating because every time they dissociate they can leave another part of themselves behind mm -hmm. which has actually led to the research that I've been doing and to the wonderful results that we've been having because in in the trauma training uh, as versus in the grief training we actually help people bring those parts of themselves back because people do not feel whole and complete when they have when they know that there's a part of themselves that has remained at some previous trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I read the article you wrote on soul retrieval, and where did you learn soul retrieval, or how did you bring that into academia without criticism? Or maybe you have had some criticism <laughs> where people say, that doesn't belong here. <laughs> well, um, all of the above is true. <laughs> um, I first heard about soul retrieval, as I stated earlier, when I read Joan Boroshenko's book, Fire in the Soul. Okay. And she named in that book that uh, many traditional and indigenous people believe that when trauma happens, a part of their spirit has actually fled and got lost, stayed at the scene of the trauma. And then a shaman or a healer would journey uh, to the spirit uh, level of consciousness to retrieve that part. When I read that, I knew that that had happened to me. Mm. I knew that when my son Billy was killed, that a part of me had gone away, and I didn't know how to get it back. Mm. And so as spirit guides, um, walking into my office at the university, and I still don't know how that catalog got there, but uh, there was a little brief description about shamanic healing and so and talking a little bit more about soul retrieval so i spent a couple of weeks with a traditional shaman she was part uh, part cree and actually part indonesian oh. and um, i spent two weeks with her and she reclaimed three parts of me uh, that had left gone away and uh, I knew the extreme benefits of that work. When I came home, and that was in August, I, uh, for many years after, uh, well, starting almost immediately after my son was killed, 
And for many years and still to this day, I have either walked early in the morning or ran. Mm. And so when I came back, uh, I came back to my home late that night, but I got up early in the morning and I could see auras. There was a light uh, around every tree, around every uh, rock, and it was like they were communicating with each other. And Mm. I knew that there had been a spiritual shift had happened for me. The second day I could still see them, but they weren't as profound. By the third day, I really had to do what I call let my eyes go soft Mm -hmm. in order to see them. I still see auras. I don't see them all the time, but I still see them enough to know of their truth and of their reality. So I knew the positive effects that had on my life, and I knew that this was something I need. If I was going to do trauma work and help people, and I was working at the women's prison at that time, I knew that that's something I needed to learn how to do. But a shaman, when it's done shamanic way, the shaman will lay on the floor right beside you and the drum will be beating. Well, I don't know that many people (laughs) that I'm comfortable lying on the floor with, and I certainly couldn't do that with Corrections Canada or have the drum beating. But that's when I became a clinical hypnotherapist. And I Mm. realized that I could also do that by guiding the person back Mm -hmm. to their trauma. I like this way uh, because when I had shamanic healing, the shaman was in charge of my healing. Yes, yes. It's it's not as passive if you're doing your own. And so when I lead it now, they go back themselves. They find their own part. Mm -hmm. They make that part feel safe. Mm-hmm. They update that part and they bring that part home. I only facilitate the process. I hold the space. I guide the language. And so they own their own healing. Trauma is very disempowering. And mm-hmm. so everything that I like to do is to help that person reclaim their own healing, their own power. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I like that too. And you actually have that journey recorded. I do. So people can... Yeah. can People find that, I know I, I purchased it via CD at one mm-hmm. of your trainings, but um, is it available on download, like through your website? Yes, it's on the like website. Oh, okay. uh, we have the bookstore, mm-hmm. Taking Flight Books, has all mm-hmm. of my resources available. Okay. And they're available either to be shipped to you in a, in a hard package, or mm-hmm. they can be downloaded as an MP3. Mm-hmm. The videos can be uh, also purchased as a hard package or downloaded as an MP4. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so powerful, mm-hmm. right? Just using the imagination to access. And I think that um, modalities such as EMDR and other trauma therapies are working on that same similar concept. Right. It's actually uh, working with the right hemisphere mm-hmm. uh, because, and that's so important for uh, uh, significantly stressful memories, such as in grief and trauma, are actually processed through the brain's right hemisphere. And I think traditional healers have probably always recognized that. Mm. Um, But now um, Ruth Lanius has shown us, Ruth Lanius, a Canadian researcher, who has actually shown that when people are processing their very difficult memories, they're actually using the functions of the brain's right hemisphere, Mm. not the left. Mm. And so in many ways, uh, the left hemisphere language center is closed 
Uh, and so just to try to talk somebody out of their grief or trauma is never going to work. Right. And so we move in in a soulful way using uh, the therapeutic art, the guided visualization. Mm -hmm. So it actually opens up and takes that person right into the place where those memories are stored and they can easily access them then. So when somebody uh, goes back to their trauma experience, they actually see themselves exactly the way they were at that time, wearing the same clothes, really revisiting that yeah. very, very circumstance. Yeah, and yeah, they're totally safe, you know. Absolutely. Uh, what about... They're going back now in a situation of being more powerful. Mm. When that part went away, they were disempowered. Right, and now they do have the capacity... That's right. ...to move through mm. that. Um, do you recommend anything, like I'm trying to remember, for instance, the pre-recorded journey that one can go on by listening, for example, the the soul retrieval one, right? Um, there's a built-in sort of grounding exercise Always. and whatnot, and that's just to make sure that the person stays safe. Right. But if a person really feels like they could get ungrounded easily or something, maybe they mm -hmm. should do that with, with the help of or support of a practitioner or something, right? right? So yeah. in the beginning, uh, and I even say this on the beginning of the CD, uh, take this, if, you, this is, if you're beginning to do your trauma healing, take this CD to your therapist. Mm. After a time, because people, many people, especially if there's been childhood abuse or domestic violence, they can have lost multiple parts. Yeah. And so I will say at the beginning of the CD, if this is your experience, take this CD to your therapist. Uh, I'm going to ground you because I really believe that if the physical body is safe, spirit is safe to do its work. But if there's multiple traumas, start with a therapist. Mm -hmm. Help her guide you through this. And then uh, you can use this later on. So many of my graduates actually, when they come into training, will have done multiple retrieval, maybe of two or three or four parts during the training, two weeks, but they know they still have more, and they can very safely use the CD. Yeah, and once you get adept in using your imagination, mm -hmm. it's the, there's infinite possibilities with Absolutely. journeying to other mm -hmm. places and realms, and it's, it's kind of funny how time, you know, when you go into the the right hemisphere or go into that journey space, the realm of spirit, how time sort of no longer exists, right? right? Like I think about journeys that I've done to myself when I was a child to support myself through difficult times. And I actually think, you know, that my, who I was, my becoming self, my future self actually literally helped mm -hmm. myself get through that, right? So it's, it's, it's endless how much we can do to, to go back and sort of revisit and heal some of those Well, uh, you're using the word imagination, which is really the soul's language, mm. uh, because that symbol, it's symbolic, mm -hmm. whereas the left hemisphere's language is words. Those are very different uh, pieces, yes. And, and you're absolutely right, like that progression. Uh, when I do the Passion and Purpose workshop, I actually take people on a progression journey where they glimpse some near aspect of their future where uh, a part of their soul has already gone to prepare that mm -hmm. and then they will glimpse something in the more distant future uh, that's already prepared for them. Um, and, and you use the word time, uh, past, present and future for the soul is all infinite now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is not uh, the way we think of it in this third dimensional kind of time.
Even when I pray sometimes uh, and I will say, uh, I need this, as we know time on this dimension. <laughs> Bye, Friday. <laughs> Not in a decade. <laughs> oh, and you know, it's interesting because I, I listened to a podcast on Radio Lab. It's a science podcast mm -hmm. about the butterfly. And I used to think that the whole entire caterpillar degraded into the goop within the cocoon but it turns out that the wings of the butterfly have been there the entire time within the caterpillar and they're just wrapped up and tucked up against you know the back and then when the cocoon happens the degradation happens of the the caterpillar body but the wings are bound up inside and they've always been there mm -hmm. so I, I like that as a metaphor for who we are becoming or our healed selves are always within us and they're always informing us and available to us yeah, it's very profound, uh, like soul knows, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And has, has known, right? It's our physical, our cognitive mind that needs to catch up with that future self of who we are. Yeah, yeah. and I think that that's, according to my definition, good therapy. When that person, practitioner, can take us to places where the part of us that knows or the part of us that is healed can come and form well, our presence. It's so, it's so profound, um, you know, because of my uh, most recent certification training in suicide, like when people are hopeless and powerless uh, and uh, suicidal, they have no sense of their own soul and of its power to capture these future glimpses. And so um, uh, I love the... Um, the work that we do in glimpsing the soul's door and they get a sense of seeing this incredible light around their own doorway to their soul uh, it's very hopeful for people to mm. uh, to even take that little step into who am I really oh wow okay mm -hmm. so that's a journey that one can take if or take someone on who's experiencing suicidal urges mm -hmm. and kind of connect them to that that's right that future and self. then and then from there once they know that this light is forming around it's just seeping out of this door and all they have to do is open it and that's then a wonderful time to do the progression hmm have a glimpse like yeah if you die today um, that will be your reality but there are these other these other pieces of you that are already formed and you just have to find the way to step into them hmm yeah I like that like connecting to the mm -hmm. is to the you know the future and it's 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 difficult when that sort of gets used in a way that um, isn't empowering for the person right Absolutely. and I think a lot of you know helpers or even just you know people's friends or family members who are terrified of the suicidal urges mm -hmm. in their friend or family member mm -hmm. right there look on the bright side and oh think about the future and mm -hmm. you know they're trying to kind of flash those distractions and bring them out of it but it's it's like putting the cart before the horse right absolutely i think it's one of the mistakes that um is too often made there are two sides to healing and the first is to acknowledge the pain Mm -hmm. What has brought that person there in the first place? And unless you allow them to be in that down and under and share that pain, explore mm -hmm. that for themselves, 
you can't just put a band-aid on it. Yeah. Uh, you can't just shut them up and think that, okay, well, think right. Okay, well, that's mm-hmm. part of it. Like, but you need to look at what is that pain? Mm-hmm. And let's explore that first. And then how do we take, how do we tiptoe into uh, moving into the up and out? Mm-hmm. And what's already worked for you? And how, what else do you need? And, you know, doing both sides of the model of healing is so essential. Is, did you come up with that, the concept of down and under and up and out? Because I know actually, that's where I heard it was yeah, from you. Yes, I have actually expanded on some work that was done by Karkoff. Okay. Uh, it was done, uh, I think his work was, uh, uh, I'm going to say, 80s. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I have expanded on his work and actually give people questions related to that. I've developed the model. Mm. He introduced the concept to me right. uh, that there are two sides to grief, that there's the uh, destructive as well as the transformative. Mm. So I learned that from his work. Uh, but I've expanded on that and developed the model and teach counselors, okay, what are some questions related to that in both sides? Yeah, the down and under and the up and up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, because I've, I've made noticed, it a practice model. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. and actually given some tools around that. I, I love it. I love mm-hmm. it. Um, I think a lot of practitioners are down and under focused, mm-hmm. right? It's like mirroring back, which is very valuable to bring that person in, into the pain and to get mm-hmm. in touch with that. And then I guess from there, they kind of rely upon the nervous system to, you know, grieve and kind of break out from that, right? You, you know, you have your tears and you um, shed them and then you, there's kind of a natural up and out, right? Or there's the kind of light practitioners, the light workers or what have you, right? Think on the bright side, distract yourself, go for a run, you know, mm-hmm. up and out, up and out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't really experienced a lot of individuals who are super balanced Mm -hmm. right where they they do honor what's down and under and the need to go there and um well i think that's the most common model but it also is why people get stuck yes yes you can't get stuck down there (laughs) it's also why they stop coming right because they never feel forward movement and sometimes they trigger themselves to feeling even worse than when they came in and that's actually a major challenge to support groups. Right. Because if the leader doesn't know how to pull each individual and the group into the up and out before she brings closure or he brings closure, people feel worse. They're all they're vicariously traumatized mm-hmm. by hearing everybody else's pain. And they don't want to go back because then they're not only carrying their own, but they're overwhelmed with everyone else's. But the, the flip side of that, as you named, is also true. Pop psychology is what's that called, <laughs> is what it oh, is called. Yeah. Is just to be in the up and out, the bright, the affirmations, those are all incredibly valuable. But as you name it, they have to be balanced. Uh, you just can't put a lid on because that grief, that trauma, they will always sneak out. Whether it's in nightmares or just when the sun goes down. And it sneaks out in uh, sarcasm, criticism, uh, things that lead actually to lateral violence. Right, yeah. Just those discharges of Uh frustration. That's That's There's no room for it. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I I love that. And I love the... I think my... 
I think you're the person who's exposed me to art therapy as well. Like, I think it was this sort of over there concept because mm-hmm. I don't consider myself an artist mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of, you know, painting and mm-hmm. those types of modalities. But uh, I got so much value out of the art therapy mm-hmm. processes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are, are there any things that like you recommend? Like therapeutic for- art uh, is uh, so profound and people always need that little introduction. This is not about being an artist. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, it's about healing, and you're using the gifts of the right hemisphere. And so um, the easiest way is um, I rarely say to somebody, draw that. Right. Because if they're not an artist, that will immediately create an immense amount of anxiety. But having the um, materials, um, all the glitter and gem and all of that that you can buy at the dollar store and have it just out there and then people pick what's, well basically I say whatever soul is directing or guiding you, that's what needs to belong. So one of the journeys that we do in the, in the very beginning is grounding and having them experience themselves with huge roots and becoming a gigantic tree. Then I have all what I call my tree materials. Mm -hmm. So I'm forever trucking through uh, Michael's or the dollar store looking for leaves and green things and uh, corrugated papers so that people or felt uh, have the materials and they just put it together. It's not about being an artist. It's about letting your soul speak about what is it that's on that table that needs to be on my piece right now. Mm Mm-hmm. And it never ceases to amaze me what people come up with, right, in the in the classes or in the little bit I've facilitated. It's well, it's a joy for amazing. me. Sometimes, uh, you know, I will be um, walking through uh, a store, ah, and I'll pick that up, and I'll put it out next time I have training, and I'm always just tickled at who picked it up. Yeah. And what is it? about that that's so meaningful for them and then I reflect on myself and why was I guided yeah I didn't even know this person was going to be in the training but here he is and he needed this right now I I find that synchronicity just so exciting yeah absolutely and something just called to you to pick that up Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's true the materials really do kind of do some of that Well, there's a tactile uh, Mm -hmm. healing related to that, too. You know, our tactile sensitivities, those fibers of touch and, you know, because uh, many people have not been touched in loving ways. Mm -hmm. And so I I always watch that and uh, uh, just get a sense, okay, what is that that is healing in that for that person? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because we even wear different fibers, different fabrics. And some people can't stand particular materials. Yes, yeah, yeah there's something. You wonder about yeah. that, that mm-hmm. sensitivity. Mm-hmm. I, I, for me, um, one of the greatest things I think I learned about being a counselor is being curious. <laughs> being curious. And that person probably doesn't have the answer, no. but just curious about even asking, curious enough to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if they can't answer today, they will ponder. Right. Yeah, it might come to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's interesting how someone's question can reverberate for such mm-hmm. a long time, a long or even time. just something that someone comment that someone says that speaks to that um, articulates how we feel right in those in those settings. I mean, groups can be very very therapeutic in mm-hmm. that way in terms mm-hmm. of reflecting back the parts of us that we couldn't what the see without a mirror. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that reflection is such a you know. Uh, the insight, insights are such growth, uh, promoting things. Ah, like I, you know, you've heard of the the great awe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like ah, that was an awe experience or an awe moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we're getting fairly close to mm-hmm. our time where we need to wrap up, but I just want to kind of see that we've kind of covered off uh, the things that we wanted to. Um, do you want to speak any more about your books specifically, or just generally? Well, uh, as I said, um, my first book, Journey uh, to the Sacred, Mending a Fractured Soul, mm-hmm. uh, is really the story of, uh, as I said, my shedding of my last tear. But mm-hmm. it's, it's really the uncovering of the spiritual life that was always going on for me and how that broke open and I had to find that treasure after my son was killed. So it's really a journey of moving uh, from religion to spirituality. Mm. And um, uh, it's now published in uh, Spanish and German. Um, We use it as our textbook in the grief certification training as well. And um, through Soul's Eyes, after I wrote um, Journey to the Sacred Mentoring a Fractured Soul, many people asked me for more information about how did you get there? How did you do that? And so uh, Journey to the Sacred Mending a Fractured Soul, uh, I provide in that book many guided visualizations that were actually given to me from the spirit world. Mm. Truly, that's true, because when I worked with the women at the prison, I honestly did not have the skills that those women needed. I have not been through childhood abuse. I have not been through domestic violence. And that was the life history of many of them was living on the street, being abused over and over, uh, a lifetime of trauma. I didn't know how to cut cords with the abuser. I didn't know how to clean and seal auras. Those gifts were given to me after prayer and they came to me in dreams. Wow. And so, uh, they're not taken from other people's work. They were really given mm-hmm. uh, in answer to, oh my God, I don't know how to help. Help me. Yeah. And, wow. uh, and then uh, after studying art therapy, uh, I just developed the art to go with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in uh, getting back to the book, uh, Through Soul's Eyes, there are many guided visualizations in there and many uh, directions for how do you do the therapeutic art Uh, associated Mm -hmm. with that and then the healing I write a lot about journaling and the power of that to integrate the two hemispheres of the brain which have been separated by the grief or the trauma and so those are basically uh, they are available on amazon.ca amazon.com Amazon um, the United Kingdom but mostly and the easiest access is probably through my bookstore Mm -hmm. uh, taking flight books uh, all the CDs are on there. Uh, the two, uh, so uh, listening to Soul Pain, the first uh, DVD uh, that we talked about, 
actually won the Alberta Motion Picture Academy Award. And Healing Soul Pain, which we haven't talked about, which came after that, um, actually won both the Alberta Motion Picture Academy Award and the Ohio State Film Festival Award. And uh, I like uh, Healing Soul Pain um, for the fact that um, an Indigenous woman on there uh, tells her story about the extreme trauma she had experienced. And the producer, uh, as she's telling her pain, she's in black and white. And as she tells about the healing that she experienced with the soul retrieval I did, with being able to set herself free from cutting cords with the abuser, uh, sending him on to the light, the healing that she experienced. And as she's telling that, the producer brings her more into full color. Uh, right at, uh, none of that was fabricated. Many people think it was, but the, the, we were having a workshop that day with a fire ceremony at the end. The cameras were running the entire day. Uh, one woman got in touch with the fact that her father went away to war. Uh, she never saw him again. Oh. Uh, she got in touch with that in the afternoon uh, through an art uh, experience we were doing. And that night at the fire ceremony, she collapsed in front of the fire. I did soul retrieval for her right at the fire. Uh, so those things are not fabricated. They actually took place as the cameras were running. And so I like to add that little glimpse. Wow, yeah, because, it's not a dramatization. Yeah, because yeah. people don't, don't know that. And mm -hmm. so, uh, but going back to listening to Soul Pain, uh, the librarian, they're available in, in our libraries across the country, uh, the librarian here frequently reorders. She says that grievers will take that video and they'll have to phone to get it back. They'll mm. keep it out. Uh, and, and she said a number of grievers have told her, I listen to it every single day. And so I think it's the acknowledgement of the soul pain and the soul, soulful experience mm -hmm. that people... Um, so we use listening to soul pain in, in the grief training. Um, the, I, I do the healing soul pain in the suicide intervention. And many counselors actually want those and they use them in their own workshops. Mm -hmm. So the CDs are, are available, uh, the cutting of cords with someone who has been uh, abusing you in the past, uh, when trauma happens, the psychic space around us, our sacred space I call it, our aura, can be damaged and so I use that also in suicide because uh, suicidal people often talk about hearing voices mm. and when we're not shielded and protected we truly can uh, do that. Um, uh, lots of times after people have done a fair amount of healing they're still carrying a lot of the emotions uh, so uh, journey to getting a new robe is a visualization where you let go of that old cloak or robe that's full of all of those negative emotions and take on a, a new one. Um, so uh, there are many, and uh, I think they're quite well described on uh, Taking Flight books. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the listener could probably benefit more 
from going uh, to the website and reviewing them. Just all uh, the different And they can yeah. look at them over and over and see the, see the descriptions at the back of the mm-hmm. CD as well, or the back so, of the books. Or. What was the thing about the black and white to turning to color? That was, some, that was an effect that the producer yes, actually the, put on, or it, it yes. just happened on its own? No, no, the producer oh, okay. did it to emphasize going from dark to light. Yeah, okay. So the page to the transformation. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say that it somehow quirkily happened with the cameras or something. I was going to no, say, no, wow, no, it wasn't that synchronistic. <laughs> The producer actually did it, uh, and most people wouldn't pick it up. Ah, it's but so artists, subtle that it's... Yeah, oh, but okay. artists pick it up all the time, but artists are aware of dark and light and shadow, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, so he was emphasizing the basically the shadow aspect yeah, and yeah. Of coming from our pain, which is often described as our down and under, our darkness, mm-hmm. into our light of transformation. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'd highly recommend your courses to practitioners or people who are wanting to mm-hmm. offer healing or hold space for others because right. they're very comprehensive in their theory aspect, experiential exercises, the art therapy, the journey work. There's a you know there's a well balanced um, aspect to it all, right? In terms of covering well, it's all essential, the bases. Yes, because mm-hmm. people need counselors really need the theory. Um, and that theory is ever expanding, and so I upgrade uh, those uh, workbooks um, at least once a year with new literature. Uh, but they also need to know that that's left hemisphere. <laughs> that's usually what you get when you take your course, right? right? You get all the theory. And but they have to also know, what do I do about that? Yeah, so someone has collapsed. <laughs> I understand where their nervous system is coming from, but how do I literally yeah. help them, right? And so they have to understand. So the left hemisphere I like to refer to as the helping hemisphere, mm-hmm. uh, but I like to refer to the right hemisphere as the healing hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And unless you enter that, uh, you will help somebody, giving them coping strategies. They can talk themselves out of something, but you will never heal them using right. only language yeah. or knowledge. Calm down strategies are great if you're having a panic attack, but that's right. uh, what about, you know, what's the when source? You keep panicking again, right? Oh, that's right. Kind of going upstream. And heal the source, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the next time we offer trauma is in the trauma recovery certification, uh, is in August, uh, starting oh, okay. on the 12th of August. In the summer, once a year, I offer it as an intensive. So we offer it as 12 days. Uh, It has two modules. Throughout the year, I offer it as one module, uh, which is uh, seven days, and the second module, which is seven days. But once a year in the summer, I offer it uh, as a 12-day intensive. And I offer it that way because we often have people who come from far away. So we've had students come here from Singapore, coming from Mexico, uh, and so uh, really to fly here, the airfare once, they can manage it, but twice is probably beyond uh, people's budget. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the summer usually brings people from quite a distance. There's great value in that because uh, when we look at any experience, especially as intense as trauma, through culturally sensitive eyes, we, we gain a lot. Mm-hmm. So there's great value in, in uh, taking the summer intensive. Plus, after 12 days, you can be certified mm-hmm. as a trauma recovery counselor. The training is, all three of my trainings are accredited through the Canadian Council of Professional Certifications out of Ottawa. Uh, the trauma uh, also carries with it two uh, graduate uh, courses 
that could be transferred to uh, a master's degree in psychotherapy. And uh, it also carries with it 160 continuing education units towards certification or recertification as a drug, drug and alcohol counselor because many people have been traumatized, learn to self-medicate through mm -hmm. the uses of drugs and alcohol. And so I want my counselors to uh, also uh, be able to be on that journey of helping. Mm -hmm. Not all counselors choose to be drug and alcohol uh, counselors, but many come into the training already with some background in that mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. And I like to add to that. I like yeah. education to be uh, meeting many needs, not just closing doors. And so that's why I've made sure that they're quality to be accredited. Yeah, addiction is often woven in that's right. to many uh -huh. people's journeys right. in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that's kind of covers off the books and sure. anything you have coming up. And, yeah. and of course, we'll link to your website and your bio and people can check out the bookstore and that's your right. courses. I do, I do the training here uh, a couple of times a year, all three trainings. But I also work, um, I, I have a very full year, uh, right up until Christmas, um, going to uh, many communities around the country. Hmm offering uh, the grief, the trauma, and the suicide. Mm -hmm. Not all three in the same community, but sometimes it is all three in the same community. And it's actually the model that I encourage. We call it a community uh, healing model. Mm. So uh, many of the communities have me come in first to do the grief, then I will do the trauma, then I will do the uh, suicide, and work with them in their communities then to set up a... Uh, responders and mm. they will they will actually have uh, it categorized by who will respond initially mm. who will do then the initial uh, healing work and mm. who will do the long-term healing work so the the community healing model uh, in quite a few communities now has proven to be quite effective and I'm very satisfied with that yeah that's awesome to have a group that mm -hmm. goes through the similar training and one of the First Nations community actually uh, agreed uh, I my research team is actually through the University of Regina in Saskatchewan uh, and um, last uh, April uh, nine of them who had taken the trauma recovery agreed under um, research um, um, protocol to have um, their cardiogram, their pulse, and their brain waves measured while I did soul retrieval. Oh, wow. And it was very significant. The results were very significant. We are just about ready to uh, send that results off to uh, publication. And then uh, in September, uh, because uh, many people say, well, uh, First Nations people, Indigenous people are very right hemisphere. So in their thinking process, in their healing process, maybe this only works for them. Mm. So to uh, accept that challenge, uh, professors from the University of Regina and uh, students from the University of Regina agreed to replicate that study and we did that in September uh, and the results were uh, very very similar mm -hmm, of course <laughs> so that will be uh, the next paper uh, I have just had published um, the evaluation 
of the trauma recovery certification and the successful uh, results of that on uh, the individuals who took the training on both their knowledge and their healing. Uh, and that was just published with the uh, Journal of uh, Humanistic uh, Psychology. And uh, part of that is actually up on uh, our website, Taking Flight International Corporation. So people can awesome. read that, actually. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, or if they're studying, they can kind of bring in those academic yeah. papers. Because it's hard to find yeah. material that's of a spiritual nature that's right. out there in, that's really in academic journals. And, yeah, yeah. And, and that it has some, some validity, and it's been peer-reviewed by a, a good journal. Mm-hmm. Thank you for blazing that trail for those of us who are I following my I a lot, <laughs> and so uh, writing is one of my gifts. Uh, the the thing about uh, that is that takes concentrated time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I love to do. And like you say, uh, for me, when I'm in that time, stand still. Right. Yeah. I have burnt more pots on the stove. <laughs> Because I've gone up to write. Yeah, yeah. And forget. Into timelessness. Do your soul work. That's right. Well, thank you very much. It's Um, been my honor. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? I feel very complete. If you're feeling complete, I feel very satisfied. Absolutely. I feel like we went down and under and up and out. That's excellent. It's it's been a good journey. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for uh, considering me as part of your podcast uh, professionals and I look forward to uh, having some feedback from Mm -hmm. any of your listeners Mm -hmm. absolutely I'm sure over time people will discover this and find your books Mm -hmm. and courses and And materials absolutely I know I definitely when I met you I thought oh here's someone who's doing what I want to do in terms of you know really um, trying to do mainstream work but Mm -hmm. also in a in a very spiritual and soulful way so not not having that woo-woo stuff over there in some other category and, you know, legitimate um, social working or uh, healing over here, but to really bring those two it together. It has to be grounded. Mm-hmm. It absolutely has to be grounded. And it has to be grounded in knowledge. Uh, uh, many people care, <laughs> but you can kill people with caring. <laughs> yes. You have to have knowledgeable caring. And it's the same with what you describe as woo-woo stuff. Well, um, put that into understanding and knowledge of why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. And then it makes sense for the person who's receiving it, and it's beneficial for them. Mm -hmm. And you as a practitioner should really understand why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. So I definitely admired your work and thought well here's someone who is blazing a trail before me oh, <laughs> i need more of those allies so lovely. thank you jane well i look forward to other opportunities mm-hmm. to work with you perfect All right. thank you very much you're very welcome and thank you mm-hmm.